Lord, we thank you for your kindness to draw near to us, how you love us so much to send your only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to reveal who you are and to save us from our sin, to defeat our death and guilt and shame. Lord, we thank you so much for how you continue to speak to us through your word, especially in the gospel of John about how beautiful and supreme Jesus is. So Lord, would you please be with us now? Open our ears, soften our hearts, help us to hear your voice, the voice of your Holy Spirit as we look into your word. And we pray, Lord, that I pray that you would guard and guide my words that I would only say that which glorifies Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. So when I was in my 20s, uh, early 20s, my friend and roommate asked me to be her maid of honor at her wedding. And our friendship was a little bumpy then. We had spent a little too much time together maybe. Um, and I had just started a new job. The job had a strict training schedule. And so I said to my friend, I'm sorry. Not only can I not be your maid of honor, but I can't come even to your wedding. You see, both things couldn't fit. I couldn't fit the relationship being there and my job. And I'm guessing you have faced choices like that. Our lives are small spaces. And packing important things in small and limited spaces takes effort, priorities, and oftentimes some rearranging. It's a bit of a puzzle. We've had to choose what's most important, and then we let other things go, even good things. And this applies to so many areas of our life that we do it every day. Um, A friend of mine just literally moved to Alabama, and he packed his car full of all the important things in his life. And he had to like figure out how it was gonna fit in a CRV and drive eight hours to Alabama. Um, You might, we have to do that when we think about what things should go on our stomach, like what things are good, even though there are other things maybe that are more delicious. Um, We do that with our time. We have to arrange our schedule. Uh, We do that with our money. When you get your paycheck, You have to decide, what are your priorities? What's important? How do we navigate this? And so here's the challenge. None of us inherently come onto this earth knowing what is truly important. We've fumbled around, we've made mistakes, we've had some victories, we've had to rearrange. And I thought when I was 22 that my, okay, let me, paint the picture a little more clearly for you. See how foolish I was. My summer job as like a camp counselor slash wilderness instructor was more important than my four-year relationship with a dear friend and that we had walked through so many hard things together. I was wrong. And I've tried to learn in my life. I've tried to, you know, but there's always that shuffling Around, I imagine you have stories like this too. We are constantly learning what's important and how do we rearrange our lives accordingly. And the gospel of John, as we come to this 
glorious and magnificently written book, it presumes these things. One, our lives and what we fill them with matter. And two, we do not in ourselves know what is actually truly important. We have to be taught. We have to have a learning posture. And John offers perspective, his perspective, uh, on what or actually who is truly important. Jesus, his person and his work. And he offers proof, evidence of how we can be sure about that to help us learn. And so we're really pushing into that. He's, John is gonna get up in our face a lot, but he certainly doesn't hold back. We're gonna look at these first 18 verses of John's gospel. It's often called the prologue. And like an overture of a symphony or a trailer for a movie, John is preparing readers to hear what he's gonna say. And he is packing in masterfully all the major motifs and themes that he is gonna unpack further. And in this way, by the way, just as a side note, This passage can be a helpful interpretive key for us. When we get confused in John, so not if, but when, we can come back to these 18 verses and find our footing, figure out what John is trying to tell us again and have that help us in the space when we don't really know how to interpret what he's saying. So John in a prologue starts by looking back at the story of God and humanity in the Old Testament, but in a way to help his readers see the word Jesus, God the Son, that he has always been at the center of everything. He has always been supremely important And John presents Jesus Christ, God's unique eternal son who became flesh to reveal God to us. And if John's words are trustworthy, which I believe they are, but that is something you may not, you may not yet have decided about that. But if John's words are trustworthy, this does suggest that your life and mine are disordered in some ways. We have some priorities that we hold too high and others that we probably have not elevated enough. And our lives need rearranging. The implications of that, especially given the supremacy of Christ and how important he is, those implications are vast and costly but we should respond cooperatively for multiple reasons. Um, So that's what I hope we can learn tonight, that Jesus is supremely important. So we should order our lives around him. Jesus is supremely important and we should order our lives around him. So we will open your Bibles up or turn them on. There's, uh, if you're looking for a Bible, there's I think Bibles in the pew. And John is uh, about three quarters to the end of the book. You can look in the table of contents if you uh, need help finding it. I know coming to the Bible, especially if you're new, can be very disorienting. So um, 
if you are familiar with the Bible and you see someone and they're not as organized or familiar with it, just lean over and help them. Share your Bible with them. Okay, Um, we are not going to do justice to this masterful passage tonight. Not here in the lecture, not in your discussion group. Uh, John speaks in an elevated, almost poetic style to show us this big picture. He's pulled back the lens so that we can see time back to eternity past or the start of human history and glimpsing into eternity past and then into our present and even angled toward beyond what's in the future. And so this is so, (laughs) this section is so tightly uh, woven together. It's hard to break it apart, but here's my attempt to help us walk through it. In John's prologue, we hear about uh, two divisions. We're going to think about uh, who John says Jesus is in the first 13 verses, 1 to 13. And then in 14 to 18, what Jesus means, who Jesus is and what Jesus means. So who Jesus is, our first division, uh, starting in verse one, going to 13, um, Jesus, the word has been centrally active in everything God has done, every single thing. And there are two main chunks in this section. One, John says in verses one to four, he has been centrally active in creation. And likewise, pulling out in five and through 13, Jesus is centrally active in God's plans of redemption, all of his promises. Uh, So let's focus on verses one to five first. Uh, We can see lots of repeated words. Repeated words for an ancient writer are not, we don't value that in our, if we're going to write something and you probably have had teachers, I'm sure I have like say, oh, you know, use another word. That's so dumb to use the same word over and over again. Ancient readers and writers had different values and they use word repetition to really emphasize, especially for an oral culture, auditory culture, probably John is writing for the ear. He expects that his word is going to be heard first versus seen with his eyes. And so he doesn't want people to miss it. Anyway, okay. So pay attention to the repetitions. That is clues about how John is structuring. In the beginning, verse one, was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Okay, so we can see in those verses, hopefully you can hear the word that a person we... John is going to identify this word as a person, Jesus Christ, in verses 14 and 17. So a little bit with a spoiler alert, but uh, with the phrase, in the beginning, John is drawing his Jewish readers back to the beginning of the Old Testament, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The idea is the Jewish mind would understand the preexistent eternal God created everything. There was nothing left out that he didn't create. If it was created, he created it. 
And what John is showing us with the lens is that even though this was not clearly revealed in the Old Testament, the word was there. And we, even though in, or even in Genesis, if you know that account in Genesis one, you can read it later, God spoke and it happened. God said, let there be light and there was light. Yet the word does not seem to mean just God's speech, but rather a person. And so we see the word Jesus is eternal. He is preexistent. He is in personal relationship with God. He is pervasively active and central in creation. And he is, in short, God. He is fully divine. We speak about him as God the Son, a member, a co-equal member of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, in perfect relationship with each other. And he was God the Son, always centrally there, but in God's wisdom, his distinct personhood is not fully revealed until the right time. We can see in verse uh, four and five, the word is the source of true light and life. These are gonna be motifs that we're gonna find, uh, we're gonna hear a lot in John's gospel. And as probably your experience and mine experiences too, light and life are inextricably connected. You cannot separate the two of them. And uh, when he says in him was life and that life was the light of men, that may evoke for uh, Jewish readers, Genesis 2, 7, where God breathed life into the first human Adam. And so the light here, the life here seems not restricted to physical light or life, but is perhaps related to God creating humanity in God's own image. Genesis 1, 27. We can see that uh, in verse nine too, and that the pervasiveness that it comes, that the light comes to all, to every man. Um, So it's not just those who receive him, but to every man. So that's a possibility with that. So I suggest that Jesus then, the word is central to everything that it means to be human. And God's good purpose was that and is that. In bearing God's likeness, we are to reflect God's glory, his light and life in this world as we are his vice regents dwelling with God and establishing God's righteous kingdom on earth. But we can see in verse five and maybe in between verses four and five, there's conflict, the darkness. So uh, humanity in Adam and Eve did not accept the terms of God's light and life, Genesis three. And in rebelling against his good rule, we in our in our ancestors that we've inherited this rejection, we chose the path of death and darkness. And that cosmic battle exists and persists today uh, as we see all around us. And maybe you see it in your heart, I see it in mine. The inclination to want to say for my own life, what is good, what is important, rather than submit to what God says is good and what is important. So yet we can see in verse five, God's loving initiative to pursue his rebellious creation. Because we are spiritually dead, that's the darkness, we do not know what's truly important. We cannot figure it out on our own. And yet God 
looks at us with compassion. He loves his world and especially those made in his image and he pursues us. God is determined to redeem and restore his world to himself. And central to the pursuit of that is this word, the light, the life. So since the beginning, the word has been present and active in all of God's redemptive purposes and promises to the world. We cannot look at a page of the Old Testament and say, oh, well, Jesus isn't there or he's not important to that. John is saying Jesus is supreme in everything. So the second part of this first section, who is who Jesus is, verses 6 to 13, we can see that God pursues his rebellious creation and it draws two responses. So the cosmic battle that's going on around is not for physical territory, but rather it is for human hearts and minds. So look at the verbs at the end of verses 7, see 7 and 10 and 11, Uh, He, that's John the Baptist, came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. And then at the end of verse 10, uh, the world did not recognize him. End of verse 11, his own did not receive him. And so we see the positive response with those terms also in verse 12, who believed in his name, who received him and who believed in his name. So that's the battle that's going on. And God's shining light in the darkness of human rebellion only has those two responses. We see him in 10 and 11 and 12 and 13. There's a positive response and a negative response. And there are only those two options, yes or no. Does someone receive and believe who Jesus is? and order their life accordingly because they know that it's true uh, or not. John's gospel is sometimes called the gospel of belief, and we're going to see this throughout the gospel. There's rising belief. More and more will come and believe and realize the implications of that important reality. And at the same time, there's rising unbelief. And we will see that intensification that even results to Jesus being nailed to the cross by unbelief, which was part of God's plan uh, in his mysterious way. Okay, so to believe that God is indeed keeping his promises to redeem and bless not just Israel, but this world, uh, in way, this is more glorious than our human minds could anticipate or fully understand. So if we remember that God's pursuit of us is our battle for a heart and mind. Then verses six to eight and verse 15 makes sense. John, the gospel writer speaks about John the Baptist. It did, like, it feels, does it feel to you so bizarre? The darkness has not understood it. End of verse five. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him, all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. We see him again in verse 15. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is to pass me because he was before me. So if we think about that 
Um, this can feel to us in our modern ears that this is kind of an eruption and interruption and a little bit random. Uh, I suggest to you, it is not. John understands how big of a claim that he is making. And in the Jewish law, a matter needed to be established by two or three witnesses. And so John, the gospel writer, is testifying about Jesus, the word. We can see that in verse 14. He says, uh, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth. He said that also at the beginning of first John, where he talks about seeing with his eyes and grasping with his hands, this one who has come. But John, the gospel writer, knows that this truth about Jesus cannot be established on his say alone. And so going through the gospel, so he offers John the Baptist's testimony to support that. And even that will be the first thing that we pick up on next week. It's the very, very, very first place uh, John will start, really kind of start his gospel, verse 19, we can see that. But throughout, we're going to see language in John about signs, that John will offer signs, testimony that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, so that those who see him and we can read about him and that we might read, uh, we might believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God and have life in his name. You can see chapter 20 verse 31, specifically, John reminds us that's where he's pushing the whole time. So this is a battle for our hearts and minds that we would have rightly ordered lives before Jesus, the supreme king and creator, redeemer. And John understands we need, we need evidence for that. We need to know Jesus is who he says he is. So, um, okay, this testimony about Jesus demands a response on our response matters. And so we can see that in verses 10 and 11, John unpacks what he said in 5b, the darkness has not understood it. And that also can be translated, the original word there has, it's so, John is so, such a good writer that it can be translated rightly uh, has not understood it, but the same word can also mean uh, overcome or put out. And so which meaning is relay, meant, I suggest both of them, that he's such a master of language. He does mean both of them. That's my suggestion. And in fact, your translation, as mine does, may have a little translator footnote to that effect. Okay, so uh, we're going to see in 10 through 11, uh, some respond negatively, and then, but some respond positively. In 12 to 13, uh, let's just read that, so good. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, or um, that, that Greek word also means authority. Uh, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And this is birth into a new family. God is still doing what he's always intended to do. Gather a people to himself, have them bear his image rightly and be able to dwell with a holy God. 
And so he is doing that. The Jews, we will see this in John's gospel, who rejected Jesus, thought that they were secure in God's blessing and promise to their physical ancestor, Abraham. And John is pushing directly into that space to say, no, you cannot and will not be in God's family apart from believing and putting your whole trust in Jesus, the word, the Christ. So of this first division, I think one of the amazing things that we can learn is that God's invitation in Jesus Christ demands a personal response. God's invitation in Jesus Christ demands a personal response. If I invite you to come to my house for a party or an event, either you're going to show up or you're not. There's no middle ground. If you come to the party, you have to decide that you're going to stay there for the duration of the event, right? So it's not just that coming and showing up the party means like, perfect, beautiful, I'm in. No, you have to act like a guest. Like, don't tear up my bathroom or whatever it is. Um, And so God's work in the person of Jesus Christ demands a response. And there are only two outcomes. You receive and believe or you do not. And both responses are costly. Which is kind of frustrating and inconvenient for us because we sort of want to live our lives according to other priorities. The things that we think are important. And here God is thrusting this choice, this response, we have to respond to it. And it's so inconvenient. And the stakes are high. Both responses are costly. A positive response demands your whole life. Because just to think about that in verse 17, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He finally names him. Christ is a loaded word importing all of God's promises in the Old Testament about a king, an anointed one who would come and rescue and deliver. And if Jesus, that's not Jesus' last name, by the way. It's his title. If he is anointed by God to be king and you say yes and you receive him, like you would receive him into your home, you trust him, you believe in him, you hang everything on him, he is not gonna be hanging around up here and let you have your own priorities over there. He wants and cares about every single priority of your life and mine. And that's super costly. But as we'll go on to the next section, there is not just a, as costly as it is, there is greater blessing because God is postured toward blessing. But the negative response to decline means you get to hold on to your present life as fleeting as it is. It will never satisfy you, by the way. Um, but because why do, you were rejecting light and life and we can't live without physical light, why do we think we can live without God's spiritual light? And John is gonna present it in the gospel in, on these terms. It is foolish for you and I to think that we can write God 
and Jesus, the word, out of our own stories and have that end up being a good thing. God's invitation in Jesus Christ demands a personal response. Jesus gives light and life only to those who believe in his name in a sustained way. Like, and he gives them in a sustained way. Those who reject Jesus are rejecting light and life and fellowship with God because there is no fellowship with God outside Christ because he is God. So I wonder, how are you responding to the invitation of the one who made you? To what extent do you think that your life is your own? That you are free to decide what is important in your, in your truth without bringing God into the picture. John's gospel is going to get up in your business and mine and suggest otherwise. As someone said, uh, this is a quote, you were not created by, through, and for your career, so you will never find ultimate fulfillment in your career. Likewise, you were not created by, through, and for a spouse or significant other. You will never find ultimate fulfillment in those relationships, as wonderful as they can be. You and I were made by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. And in him alone, we find ultimate purpose, meaning, fulfillment in life. Maybe this is a new thought to you. Are you open to considering this, that this might be true and trustworthy and God's plan and invitation for your life to be in full blessing. And if you're open to that, and maybe you already belong to Jesus by faith, uh, you're in the right place, a key way to know God and, and go deeper into that relationship with him is to spend time in his word, the Bible, to find out actually who he is, not who we think he is, but who he reveals himself to be. Uh, will you commit time to spending, will you commit to spending time with him in his word daily? Uh, the BSF lessons are set up for that. So I want to encourage you, if you want to work on a lesson during the week, I encourage you. The questions are really good this year. So you can use these QR codes to get the lesson for the week, or you can print them out. There's a printer station out there for the lessons. It's just a tool. It's not magic. It's just helping you be in God's word and engage with it and hear from him. And when he speaks, things happen. So when he speaks, you can expect, we can expect, we should expect that we will be different. We will be transformed because of his word. Uh, Okay, let's go on. Jesus is supremely important. We should order our lives around him. So in these last five verses, what Jesus means, Jesus coming means God dwelling with us, revealing himself to us. God is moving toward us to restore the world in Christ. So I know I'm almost out of time. Maybe I'll just read it and then have just a few thoughts. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, 
who is at the Father's side has made him known. Dear friends, that's what Jesus means. Jesus means that God wants to be known. He won't stop until that happens. And he's gathering people to himself um, to call us out of darkness and death and sin and things that destroy us into light and life and grace upon grace, abundance, joy. Uh, Okay, so... I'm just going to wrap it up. We're going to say principle here. Seeing Jesus Christ is seeing God. If you want to know who God is, study what Jesus, study what the Bible says about Jesus. Uh, Do you believe that? Jesus has created us for eternal fellowship with him, that we might glorify him and enjoy him forever. And if you've received Jesus, how have you seen Jesus bring life and light to you? Joy even in hard circumstances. Peace, maybe not perfect peace, but peace in the midst of problems. Truth, where you once knew lies. Hope, where you had only despair. Is there some part of your life that is still in darkness, perhaps a place where you're in secret rebellion? God, I know you want such and such, but this is my life. Will you ask Jesus to shine light into that place? And will you ask him, to make himself more the center of your life today and tomorrow and all your days. And will you pray that for all of us as well? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are so kind that you draw us to yourself and your purposes are good. Father, would you be with us as we continue to study your word in our discussion groups Help us to together go deeper into fellowship with you and truth about your son, the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.